Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here on Talking in Circles tonight. We're going to have a great show for you. We're going to preview this weekend's races at Richmond Raceway. Both the NASCAR Xfinity and NASCAR Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series uh, are in it racing at Richmond Raceway this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun to see who does what there. We'll also talk about the business of NASCAR. Bubba Wallace had some interesting comments about his team's lack of sponsorship. Also, Roger Penske had some interesting comments as well about uh, how NASCAR can take some lessons from IndyCar uh, about what they can do to make the, the cost just a little bit more uh, suitable for, for NASCAR and to make it a little bit more easier uh, on, the, on the wallets. We'll get into that discussion as well. Plus, we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. That's the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles. If you want to discuss anything, uh, anything about NASCAR, anything about the weekend at Bristol, anything about this weekend coming up at Richmond, we'll be willing to talk about it. That number, 917-889-8280. Clayton Coldwell, Philip Matthew here with you right now on Talking Circles. Uh, Philip, give me a fun week this weekend. Another Dash for Cash event in the NASCAR Xfinity Series which means no Cup guys, no Kyle Busch. Should make for an interesting show. Also, uh, NASCAR Cup Series here at Richmond. Uh, one of the three short tracks on the schedule. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see who, who's out front there. And uh, what do you expect to see this weekend at Richmond and both Xfinity and Cup? Well, in terms of the Xfinity Series, I figure it'll be similar to what we had last week, uh, seeing that big four that has basically emerged kind of reinforce that and see if one of those guys can actually win. One of the guys that isn't Chris Dell can win. Uh, And it'll be a good competitive race amongst them. We'll have to go and see the, also we can focus on that cutoff battle for the playoff uh, in terms of like Ryan Sieg and Justin Haley and to a lesser extent right now, uh, the four car. And that will be probably Ross Chastain. And that will be interesting to look at. And then maybe there might be somebody that comes up that does pretty well and is kind of a surprise, which helps when Kyle Busch isn't in because Fox insists on showing Kyle Busch doing everything known to man. Uh, It's like when Dana Kilpatrick was around, they used to go and have – somebody follow her around like everything she did was important. It's the same way they cover Kyle Busch. So um, there's that. I'll be at the race on Saturday night. Uh, Hopefully the weather will be fine. It'll be first race of the year for me to attend, so it'll be nice. Uh, Figure Kyle Busch will win because that's what they want. Uh, The short tracks in general provide more teams an opportunity to compete, so that's a good thing. Um, but right now, as it stands, it's Penske versus Gibbs to a lesser extent. Stuart Haas is, is there, but not to the same, same way as they have been. They were last year. And then you have Chevy teams that will probably kind of show up maybe at the end of the race. That's what Kurt Busch usually does so far this year. He's basically shown up at the end of races and, done something but I mean it's going to be an interesting weekend I mean they don't have that much practice I'm sure the tire is hard as a rock so it's not going to really wear 
So tire degradation is not in play, and then that means they won't really have to make a lot of – there will be strategy in that sense. It will be maybe two tire calls late in the race and try not to spin the tires on a restart might decide the deal, you know, on Saturday night. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and a guy who's got a win here, Philip, and a guy who we haven't really seen perform all that well this season so far – is Kyle Larson, um, you know, and I, I sort of think that right now everybody's sort of waiting for him to kind of open up and, and really uh, perform at a high level uh, in general in the Cup Series. You know, he won four races in 2017, and since then it's been a struggle. Uh, last year I think the finger was pointed towards uh, the Chevy Camaro, but yet this year he's not running as good as he should be probably, and his teammate Kurt Busch, is outperforming a lot of the Chevrolet teams. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, uh, what's going on with Larson? And can he, is this a good weekend for him to, to rebound and, and really put a solid weekend together and get his season point in the right direction? I would think the more weeks that go on where Kyle Larson isn't able to, to compete or stand up to uh, Kurt Busch's results, it's going to be an issue. I mean, the fact is right now he's, also in the playoff, I know we discussed this on Sunday night's recap episode, and we talked about Young Money a little bit. And I, it's it is concerning, and considering this is one of the tracks he has won at, for him to run well would be something big for him and for his team. I think there's bigger issues within the organization uh, that for somebody like Kurt Busch, who's been a veteran of 17, 18 years in this sport, he can cover up with his own experience and his own abilities. Uh, Kyle Larson, I believe will be fine. Uh, I do. I think he's going to win. I mean, it's very hard for me to see where Chevy's are going to win this year, but in terms of what can Kyle Larson do on Saturday night, I think he has as good a chance as, anybody in terms of, you know, to, if he can get, get a good start to the weekend and have a good practice, have a good qualifying, I think it would be, it would mean good momentum and positive, provide a positive reinforcement and hopefully a good, good, uh, you know, result on Saturday night. Yeah. And there's a lot of drivers, like you said, I think this Richmond track, uh, brings out a lot of a chance for a lot of uh, drivers who might not necessarily run in the front. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to do that. One of those drivers that sticks out in my mind because he had such a good run last weekend at Bristol before a pit road issue got him in the back was Chris Busher. Busher ran in the top 10 most of the day there at Bristol. Uh, that 37 team, and I know Priest is a rookie, so so we got to keep that in mind too as we as we just, as we go along here for this season, but. Uh, Bush has run really good. He's got had a lot of speed. Another guy I'm looking at is Ty Dillon. Uh, Ty Dillon has, has turned a corner here, especially on the short tracks. Uh, he's really running the top 20, top 15, most of the short tracks this year, or shorter tracks this year, like, like Phoenix as well. Um, so those are the two guys there that uh, have Chevrolet ties who I think might turn some heads this weekend and, uh, and do pretty well. Is there anybody else that stands out in your mind here this weekend at Richmond that, that, you know, let's say somebody who we're not nor, nor, 
Titan. We're not normally used to seeing up front. Is there anybody else that stands out to you, Philip Matthew, this weekend at Richmond that could possibly have a good weekend? Uh, I mean, you look at you look at the field. I mean, it's only what is it, thirty seven thirty seven cars for this weekend, so short field. In terms of somebody that wouldn't be, it'll be kind of out of the realm. I mean, I would say that, I mean, I guess it could be a stretch. I mean, I guess it would be a stretch uh, that Suarez, because, you know, in his time with Joe Gibbs, he really, short tracks have usually been, it's a track where Carl Edwards famously moved Kyle Busch over and won. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing in general has been very good there. He never really did as well as the other cars in his time there, but he's been making progress. So in a sense, it, it might not be a surprise. It may be a surprise relative to what he's done before. Uh, I would also say Stenhouse, after what happened last week at one of his best racetracks at Bristol, basically not having a chance to compete and, uh, you know, wanting to recover and make something, make up some points and make up some lost ground. I think those are two people that Ricky Stenhouse has won at short tracks before in his Xfinity career as a two-time champion. I think that this team with, uh, you know, Newman ran well last week for that's one of the best runs that six cars had in a while. I think Trevor Bain had a great run there, the same race as Matt Benedetto. And, but, you know, like the six car running well these days is pretty shocking. So the fact that they ran well is something. But I would go and say those two guys, as people that theoretically are off the radar, that might be able to do something on Saturday night. I don't know. Yeah, I I could totally see Roush going out there and performing very well. Uh, And and I know this might be a little biased, and I was hoping you were going to touch on this guy here. But a year ago at Richmond, I was in the stands, and David Reagan had a really strong run until he had a uh, pit road speeding penalty and then blew right front tire and hit the outside wall. But they were in the top 15 and turning lap times faster than a leader at times. So uh, this is one of David's best racetracks when you look at what he's been able to do here, even in his Roush days. He had two fourth-place finishes here. Um, so this is a guy to keep an eye on as well um, as, the, as the weekend goes along. He had a decent run at Bristol before a tire issue got him in trouble there. Uh, so something to keep an eye on there is that 38 car. Um, who knows what we'll see from McDowell, too. That team seems to have some bad luck this year, but we'll see. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what if some of these smaller teams that don't normally run up front, if they can put themselves in the front. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. It's Clayton Cole and Philip Matthew here tonight. Uh, how about anybody that you think will compete for a victory this weekend? Um, I know there's a lot of guys, and you talked about Kyle Busch because everywhere we go, it seems like Kyle's a favorite to win. This package really suits his driving style. Um, but is there anybody else that stands out to you? I mean, obviously, we, like I said, we know we got Kyle. Uh, Kevin Harvick, I think, is a, a guy that a lot of people are going to look at this weekend. You know, I think it's essential for maybe a guy like Eric Amarola or like you talked on Daniel Suarez, who Stuart Haas is just a little bit farther behind than where they were a year ago, especially in the mile and a half tracks. Can they go to um, Richmond this weekend and pull off a win on the short track where aerodynamics is not as big of a factor and get themselves locked into the playoffs? I think it would be a big deal for them. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Eric Almirola, when he hasn't had a serious issue, has been top 10-ing every, every week. So, I mean, last week was an extreme, so he had a bad race. I think Daytona they wrecked. So the, but outside of that, Eric Almirola has been really consistent. And so, and, and since he's jumped in this 10 car with Johnny Klausmeyer, uh, they've been really solid. And there's been places where Eric Almirola never, I mean, even going back, like I could think about when he was driving the Billy Blue truck, or I could think about when he drove for junior motorsports and even he didn't do as well at some of those tracks in those vehicles. But then now in this car and this team and with everything, he's doing pretty well. So I think it would be, it wouldn't be out of the realm. He, he, he's been able to run pretty well everywhere and it would be a good win for them. I think that, you know, Harvick, even though Harvick is fourth in points, everyone's like, Oh man, what's going on with Kevin Harvick? Six top tens, three top fives. It's not what he did last year. But when you have basically this like giant, you know, momentum shift of Joe Gibbs racing, basically being the dominant figure, five out of the eight races so far this year have been won by Gibbs. You know, it's not really that hard to believe that Kevin Harvick wouldn't be there. Uh, he's had some, hasn't had, been able to finish as well. But, I, I mean, for the Stuart Haas guys, they're all inside the top 12 right now. Even Daniel Suarez, he's got a little gap to Boyer and Almirola and all that. But it, it, this is a race last year. I think last spring, the Stuart Haas cars were all pretty much up front all night long. And I think uh, Almirola was was leading at one point and what pitch strategy or things happen on pit road and all of them had something bad happen. And in the end, Kyle Busch won uh, because that's what it always seems to work out to be. Uh, so I don't think it would be far fetched for Stuart Oscar to win. It wouldn't be far fetched. that Martin Truex finally breaks that his never winning on a short track in a cup car deal. You know, I, it wouldn't be far-fetched for that either. He ran pretty well last week at Bristol. Uh, nobody talked, not a lot of people talked about it, but, you know, for him and for all the crying he usually does, the fact that he uh, actually did well at Bristol was pretty interesting compared to other years and what he's done elsewhere. So, Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of Amarola here at Richmond, I always think about his race back here when he had to try and race his way into the playoffs back in 2015 um, and at Richard Petty Motorsports and just had a tremendous run, uh, finishing in the fourth spot. He did, he did everything he needed to do uh, in 2015 yeah. there and, you know, just didn't have enough points to get in, unfortunately. But it was a tremendous yeah. run, and it just shows you with the right equipment and the right stuff, he can go out there and compete for a top five, compete for a top ten finish, finish fifth here uh, in the fall last time at Richmond. So, yeah, he's a guy I think somebody that you look at and you say, hey, um, they could be somebody that can pull off a win. And like I said, you know, it's, it's these fringe guys too who uh, might be more competitive on short tracks, maybe an Austin Dillon type. Um, he could definitely go out there and see what he could do to pull off a win. Um, you know, some of these guys I think who are on the fringe who don't necessarily um, lead a lot of laps every week, but – 
come to Richmond and might be able to be a little bit more competitive. So I think those are the guys to keep an eye on this weekend at Richmond. Uh, anything else you want to talk about here, uh, Philip, before we move on? No, I think we uh, covered everything in terms of the uh, races. I mean, there's going to be some interesting figures, new people coming into the race on Saturday for the Xfinity uh, race. Uh, some new faces, new drivers, and different rides. So that'll be a different spin. But uh, otherwise, I don't think there's anything really going on. I think we've covered everything there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, that Xfinity Series race for sure. Uh, Spencer, how about you? You know, w- when you look at uh, this Cup Series event, who do you got and who who do you think is going to do really well at Richmond? Uh, well, Philip just mentioned how dominant Joe Gibbs has been. And, you know, I feel like uh, the 18, though, is no stranger to victory lane there. You know, he swept the races there last year. And, uh, you know, Martin Truex, you got to think, look at the dominant run he had there in 2017 before he had his incident there at the end. So, uh, you know, like you guys just said, he could definitely break his little non-winning on a short track type deal he's got going on and get a trophy with a short track name on it and add it to his trophy case. You know, he's with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing and they're, you know, dominating this year. And uh, so, yeah, Truex is a good guy to look at and definitely the 18. I mean, you can't forget about him. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, something else I want to touch on, guys, here is uh, some of the sponsorship talk that's been going around here the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, and, and just little hints here and there. Bubba Wallace had some interesting comments. That I follow a, a petty page real close. Um, so, and people are talking about how it seems like Richard Petty Motorsports have heard some rumors here, guys, uh, in the last couple of, of weeks that RPM is, is sort of uh, – they're struggling for sponsorship. Let's just call it, put it that way. So, um, and I want to get a deeper dive into this, to this deal, you know, because when you look at the smaller teams in this sport, I think a lot of people sort of kind of take them for granted a little bit and say, well, you know, they're not really competitive. So who cares? You know, I remember uh, a few people in the media would say, well, if you are paying ticket to watch a guy run 35th, you know, then, then I don't know what to tell you, but I feel like the, the smaller teams are very important to watch. And they're very important to our sport because I think that's how teams grow. That's how teams get better. That's how uh, the sport gets better. You know, Hendrick Motorsports at one time back in the 80s barely, I mean, they barely made it. They didn't win Martinsville with Jeff Bodine in 84. Who knows what happened to that team? You know, they weren't considered a big honcho team. You know, Jack Roush in his first year with Mark Martin, they were very competitive, but they weren't a big, big time team. Um, you know, Gibbs started off with a lot of money. He was in a little bit of a different era. Uh, and, you know, some of these – Richard Childress Racing didn't start off big. You know, Richard Childress was an independent for a long, long time before he hired Dale Earnhardt, and Dale Earnhardt took that team to new heights and really brought that team to a to superstardom. Um, so, you know, they, these all these teams have to start from somewhere. And when I think about these smaller teams like RPM, like Front Row Motorsports, like uh, Premium Motorsports with Jay Robinson over there, like uh, JTG Dalry Racing, teams that don't really run up front or win on a regular basis, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you say, well, we kind of need these teams. Uh, I, I personally think, you know, I remember when Rusty Wallace had his own Xfinity Series team for a while, um, you know, and I always said, think about what Rusty, the sponsorships Rusty Wallace had on that Xfinity series team, one of those sponsors was five hour energy. 
So, you know, Five Hour Energy sort of tipped their toe into the water, into the NASCAR sponsorship water with Rusty Wallace Incorporated before they went to a, a Cup Series team, before they had their relationship with Clint Boyer. You know, and you can kind of point to a couple of sponsors that way. So, you know, to me, these smaller teams are important to watch. Um, and that's why I want to get into this conversation here about how to fix this. Um, you know, and right now, I think when we look at the Cup Series, the biggest problem is the bigger teams have such a stranglehold on the smaller teams. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at Joe Gibbs Racing, they're uh, a four-car operation. They provide engines and chassis to Levine Family Racing. When you look at uh, for the Ford teams, they all have uh, Roush Yates engines, and you know Roush provides chassis and, and technology support to front row motorsports. Um, and so, you know, Ford's a little bit different because Penske and Stuart Haas are on their own, but Chevrolet, you know, when you look at, uh, the Hendrick Motorsports engines, they're JTG daughter racing. They provide chassis to them. Children's provides chassis to the 43 and, and, and engines to the 43 at RPM and the 13 at, at Jermaine racing. So it's, it's just, they have such a stranglehold on these smaller operations. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is Philip, you know, what can be done to, to sort of help make these teams a little bit more competitive in your eyes, these smaller teams that, um, you know, that might not run up front on a regular basis. What do you think can be done to help these teams be a little bit more competitive? And let's be real here. You know, there's not a lot of things um, that, that we can do to help these teams, but, you know, is there something small that maybe you could look at and say, well, we need to try and do this and help the teams a little bit. What are your thoughts? I mean, the, the one thing that I look at that has been basically started in in the whatever K and N and ARCA and now in the trucks and I think eventually is gonna get there as much as they may not want to and they but they might have to is a sealed is a sealed engine or a, a crate engine like the Ilmore three ninety six. Uh, the amount of money these teams have to spend on engines is pretty high, and the number of people that are making them is not that many. Uh, basically, Toyota is a factory effort. The TRD is making their engines. Ford is Roush Yates now. And then Chevy has, okay, they have Hendrick or they have ECR. So basically, you're, I mean, unless, I mean, I don't know about some of the smaller teams, the really small teams, what they're doing, but you're literally only have four places that you can get a motor from. And that to me is bad. Uh, the fact that they, NASCAR has tried to go and do the, they, they, the rules also is a major problem uh, and how they've, they've, Ever since the Gen 5 car, they there was a point when a lot of teams went out of business because of the Gen 5 coming in, the COT, and then they were able to run. Some of these teams came out of the woodwork and ran and got started during that time, start and parked and all that. And like Tommy Baldwin and I think a couple other efforts were able to uh, make things happen for a few years, but then eventually they ran out of money because of the stupid charters and some of the other idiotic things that have come along. Uh, I think the going and keeping the rules, you know, consistent 
on a year-to-year basis, making it more cost-effective to compete, which is something that I don't think anybody that works in Daytona or any of these major teams really care about. But when you have short fields for the Daytona 500 and big races, it's a fundamental problem. I think the engines are going to be, that's going to be the first piece. And I, and also when you consider Goodyear's the only place, the only tire out there and they make as bad of a product as they do, they shouldn't charge as much as they do for the crappy tires that they provide on a week to week basis. Uh, yeah, they really, the, the, they have not provided a good product in decades, really. Um, Hoosier has made a better racing tire for decades, but because of a couple of incidents that they want to just hook on because of Leo Mel and a couple other zealots, which is, it right. reminds me of politics. They did. Oh, Hoosier got a bad name, but Hoosier runs perfectly fine on all the dirt tracks in the country. And right. Hoosier runs well in other series. And General Tire now is is uh, running around in multiple series, and they provide a perfectly good tire. You know, there's there's yeah, certain there's a lot, ways to fix it. There's a lot you touched about there, Philip, and I certainly want to get to all that here in a little bit. But I want to kind of bring it, wrap it around to the chartering system a little bit here. Um, this was supposed to be the end all be all, the 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 best thing to happen to this sport in a long time. And Spencer, you know. I'm not sure that's the case. You know, these charter systems to me have certainly, I think, maybe helped it a little bit. But I always said when when this when this came out and this was announced, I, I wish I could go back and find the exact episode, and maybe I will, uh, just for giggles. When when it was announced they were going to the charters, uh, my old co-host and I came out and said, unless they change the business model of NASCAR. It's never going to fix anything. And we've seen a lot of teams go by the wayside. One, one team, BK Racing, Tommy Baldwin's had to sell. They had a charter. Um, and, and, you know, if you wanted to nitpick, you could get a lot of teams that, uh, you know, Furniture Racing went away. Furniture that was a big-time championship team. And they couldn't keep afloat. So are these charters, do you think, Spencer, the thing that has – do you think they've helped this sport at all? That's a, you know, that's a very, uh, I want to say more of an opinion topic. There's no, I think, you know, I don't know. That's in a way, no. And in a way, yes. Um, you know, you know, obviously I don't, I know what a charter does, but I honestly, I, I guess it's just, you have a charter. Honestly, I don't think it's uh it's just more of a saying I have a charter and it locks me into uh, a race and they do cost money and you can sell them. Um, but the way I think it's a way to make a quick buck, just say you need the extra money for your team and you are good enough to make, you know, qualify in, you can sell your charter and there's a quick buck. You know what I'm saying? If you're not big, you don't have a lot of sponsors. But you know, it's to me, it's a tricky topic. You either think it works or you didn't think it works. I don't know. Phil might have yeah. a little bit better a way to explain it, but um, it's well, very I'll, opinionated, I'll say, I guess. I'll say this: it's it's what the charters have done now. What they've done with these charters is they've kind of put the money in, in evenly distributed it a little bit more, where you know the TV money sort of distributed evenly. 
uh, to where it really doesn't matter. It does matter, but not as much as where you finished in the past. Um, and I, and you know, it gives, it gives the teams who have a charters a little bit more bang for their buck. Remember we used to have 43 cars. Now we only have 37 this weekend. We only have 36 showing up. Really. They've taken what, what was the, the purse for 43 cars and really have combined it into about 36 cars. So when you think about that, they've taken away what seven teams, uh, it gives each team a little bit more bang for their buck. Uh, Philip, I've been loud and vocal about this for a long, long time. To me, the cost of racing has gone up significantly. The cost of gas has gone up significantly in the last 10 or 15 years. The cost of tires, as you mentioned, have probably gone up in, uh, in the last 10 or 15 years. The cost of, of really everything, hotels for teams, et cetera, has gone up. But when you, And they don't show this anymore, and there's a reason why they don't show it anymore, the purse. Um, but for about a 10-year period, the purse was pretty flatlined. It was pretty much the same. You know, I remember saying you could look at the all-star race or, or a race from 2004 and 2005 and compare it to a race in 2013, and the purse was exactly the same. You know, I used to go yeah. on J-Ski and say, how can that be? How can a race in 2005 to 2013, how can the purse not have gone up $1 million or $2 million? It, it was like it gone up maybe $150,000. And you're like, how is that yeah. possible with how much inflation has gone up? So I always felt like, and, and whether it's NASCAR, the team owners, you know, I always felt like, or NASCAR or the racetracks, I should say, the track owners, should give the teams a little bit more bang for their buck. And I think that's why we saw the RTA come together, Philip, is because they looked at this record TV contract that NASCAR got and said, we want a piece of that. You know, we're really not really getting a piece of that. 65% of the money from the TV contracts goes to the racetracks. We're seeing racetracks build uh, expensive upgrades like crazy. You know, uh, Daytona put a $400 million uh, in, uh, renovation in which Daytona is a different animal than any other racetrack. But how many times have we seen Phoenix make, a, make an, uh, a renovation to that racetrack? Richmond's making a renovation. So there's a lot of Follow stuff going on in these races. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Phoenix, we've seen Phoenix, like I said before, you know, that's, yeah. what's that, three innovations for them? So yeah. I think these racetracks are making more money than, any, than ever. Um, are these car owners, do you think, making more money than ever? And what can be done to sort of help that? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, to be completely honest about the charter system, it's basically Rob Kaufman's justification for having to bail out MW55 stupid behind for years and running basically one or one and a half cars out of his own pocket and then almost killing Mike Rockefeller at, at Lamar, but that's a separate topic for a different show, probably my other show. Uh, the fact is Rob Kaufman made this charter system so he can make his money back when he knew that they were going to go out of business. And in, in another sense, the, the, the fact is the owners don't get the value for the dollar that they used to get 10 years ago because there are more than that, because there was more to me, there was more sponsors in 2005. There was more cars showing up to races and there was actually some sort of competition. There was more team owners in the sport. It was theoretically easier to get in. It is now harder to get in. There's less sponsorship. 
there's less owners, there's and there's and and the NASCAR and some of these whatever ISC and NASCAR are the same thing, and then SMI have all these sponsors and all and especially NASCAR they have all these entitlements, which has always bothered me. How they have seven thousand entitlement sponsors. You have the official the toilet paper of NASCAR. It's like it's like the band Kiss. You know, put your name on it. It's this and NASCAR. Like that's what it is, and it's ridiculous. And to me, it 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 shows that they do not care about the product. They only care about their bottom line. And that really became a thing when BZF, you know, took over, and they aren't changing that. And fundamentally it's hurting the on-track product and it's hurting. There are people out there. There are drivers in this sport right now that really could be something. And they don't, they're the, the owners, there are owners, but it, it goes back to the point where outside of Tony Stewart, most of these owners are old and once they all go away, I mean, sure, Jeff Gordon's probably going to take over Hendrick Motorsports. Fine. Who's taking over Joe Gibbs Racing? You know, uh, really. Uh, Penske has Tim Sindrick. He's been his right-hand guy for years. So Penske's going to be fine, and he has his sons and whatever. Uh, you look at your Roush, John Henry doesn't care. He only cares about his baseball team. You know, and so that once once Jack Roush passes away, I don't think there's gonna be Roush racing. You know, you think of that's that's fundamentally like it's fine. Oh, you have these charters. Chip Ganassi doesn't even care. Really doesn't care about his NASCAR team right now. Maybe once the Ford GT program goes away, and if they don't make a prototype program next year, then he might care a little bit more about the NASCAR team. But there's no there's no. Uh, uh, maybe Rob Kaufman becomes the guy, uh, but there's no, uh, you know, succession plans. And right. when you consider that there's no succession plans, there's no, the bang for the buck isn't there. The amount of money you have to put in to be moderately competitive, not being top five, not being like winning, but just to be like 15 doesn't equate, it's crazy. doesn't equate to what you're getting at an on uh, you know for the you know TV getting for the it makes no sense. Right. You're better. The, well, it's it, you're better off spending your money going to IndyCar because they're only getting thirty thousand dollars to win, and that's been the case for years. And you, you're better off going to IndyCar. You're better off going to you know any any number of other series you're more likely to get more TV time because literally if you're on Fox and you're not Kyle Busch, they're not going to show you. So it really doesn't make a difference. Well, how about, how about this? You know, and I've talked about this and Spencer, I want to get your opinion. Then we'll go to Philip, of course. Um, I've been criticized for this take. I have, and, and I understand a lot of people are very passionate about it and look at it and say, it'll never work. It's stupid, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when I think about NASCAR, I think the big problem is that the that the bigger teams have too much of a stranglehold. Now, even in the Xfinity Series, guys, you see uh, the, the teams that are winning races there on a regular basis are all cup teams. So the only way we can really 
change that is if we put a limit on of two teams per per car owner. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's going to be ugly for about ten years. It might be ugly. You might be sitting there going, "We're watching, you know, Joe Smo from, you know, run in the Cup Series because there just aren't simply enough cars to field the track." I understand that, but eventually, I think the cost will come down because I just think with a four-car operation and with the amount of money that a four-car operation can bring in, uh, I think it really, you know, it would. The only way to, to bring that down is a two-car operation. Now. Um, there's people out there who, and, and you could be in this train of thought. I don't care. I'm just curious on why you think it, who think maybe we should have no limit and expand teams, five, six, seven teams per car owner. Um, and I think eventually, you know, we'd get into a situation where we have five, six car owners and that's it period. Um, what are your thoughts, Spencer? I know we touched on this a little bit earlier in the year, but, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think we can maybe, uh, should we have a, another limit? Is four the right, a perfect amount of number? Should we let go of the limit? How do you think that would change the business model? Well, I can tell you one. It, well, this is one way it can affect it. Teams are getting five or six cars. They are going to run the small teams straight out of the sport because they have no chance of competing. You have no chance. You are not going to be premium motorsports, and you're not going to go out there and kick seven Joe Gibbs cars ass. You're not going to kick Hendrick Motorsports' butt. You're not going to kick all them big teams' butt. And it, like we touched on, the smaller teams, I feel, bring in sponsorship because it is cheaper to sponsor their race car. So if you knock out all these small teams out of the field, there goes sponsorship because these sponsors that are on these uh, cars, the smaller teams, they're not going to go to Joe Gibbs or Hendrick and pay $20-something million dollars a year to be on the race car. So, you know, you can look at it that way, too. If you run the small guys out with having a limit, you know, like just say Joe Gibbs owning six, seven, eight cars, that's ridiculous. They Because the guys are going to have no chance to compete, and they're going to back out of it, and they're going to stop wasting their money. So you can look at it that way, too, um, with sponsorship. Um, but, yeah, I think that's definitely a way. I think there should be a limit, and it shouldn't go high, as I mentioned, when we talk about this. Um, uh, Two-car limit. I feel like the only thing that does is make it cheaper for the owner because they're still going to charge the same amount for sponsorship maybe for that car to get that car to the racetrack um, because it costs the same amount for every one of his car. Joe gives his cars to go to the racetrack. So just say, you know, if it's just say it's $10,000 to get to the racetrack and he goes down to two, well, instead of paying 40, he's now paying 20. But the sponsorships are still going to pay the same amount of money to be on that race car. He's just because he still has to get into the racetrack. So I don't really know if cutting down would help. But I think if you expand, it's definitely going to hurt sponsorship side because they're going to leave. The smaller well, teams bring in sponsorship. Yeah, it, it'll be. It's interesting. I was some good points there. Um, you know, Philip, you talked about it earlier about how in the 2000s and the 90s, maybe a little bit, where it seemed like there was more sponsorships. And when we think, when I think about that era, one thing I certainly think about is the fact that we had more teams that had one sponsorship. You know, you had a sponsor, Dale Earnhardt, you know, he had Jim Goodrich forever. There was hardly anything else on that car. He might've Oreo as an associate. Uh, you know, even when Everett Ham Motorsports started up, they, Dodge, Dodge had yeah. two, had two cars and it was just Dodge. You mm -hmm. know, Rusty Wallace had Miller light, not really anything else. And then all of a sudden we started seeing these one, two race deals. And now that's commonplace. 
And I feel like that's hurt the sport in, in this way where, you know, if I watched this last weekend's race at Bristol and I watched this weekend's race at Richmond, I'm going, who's in that car? Because the casual fan goes, well, I, I know that, you know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. drove the fifth, third car last year. Why is he got Sunny Delight this weekend? That doesn't make any sense or vice versa, you know? So I think that's hurt that way because the cars look completely different based on the sponsorship we've had. But I guess what my question is, why do you think that is? You know, is it the fact that they've charged, they've priced themselves out, and how do we get that down? Listen, you talk about crate engines. I don't want crate engines in the, in a Cup Series because I think everybody running the same engine is is not very fun to watch. Um, yeah. But will that help the cost? I mean, if that helps the cost, maybe I'll think about it a little bit more. You know, I don't want to get to a situation like maybe an IROC series where, you know, when you look at the Xfinity series, they have a composite body and a truck series of a crate engine. And if you combine the two, we basically have IROC. So uh, what are your thoughts on all that? And why do you think we have the sponsorships with these one, two race deals here, uh, three, four race deals that when we didn't have it in the 2000s? Well, it, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with all those entitlements. Those are sponsors that if instead of being, you know, hooked to the series or to the sanctioning body, if they were on the moving billboard, if they were on the thing that fans actually look at the most, they'd probably get more value. To me, they would get more value uh, than being on you know, on the website at the bottom of the website and being in your random Kroger or Walmart or name your store, wherever you are, you know, Publix or whatever, you know, to me, I would rather see the sponsor on the car because at least I can identify what that is and where it is. And you see some commercial and whatever, there's a driver hook to it. There's something to it. Uh, the the reality is like Jimmy Johnson's a perfect example. He had Lowe's for years. Lowe's before Jimmy Johnson ran with RCR and, you know, Brett Bodine and way back when and with, um, you know, with Earnhardt and Pearson at Scott Osterlin's team. But then it was, but it was, yeah, then it became Mike Skinner and Robbie Gordon, but then they left because that team wasn't any good. Then they went to Jimmy Johnson. They stayed there forever but even Lowe's decided the business model didn't work. Home Depot mm-hmm. invested tons of money in Tony Stewart. Yep. But by the, what, what they realized is once they got Joey Logano, no, I mean, in the end we've realized that it didn't work, but, oh, Joey Logano didn't fit and all these different things. They're like, oh, no, Home Depot doesn't want to be there anymore. And then, like, Matt Kenseth is another example where he won all these races. You know, he's a funny guy. And all these sponsors, he had great sponsors, DeWalt for years, then they left. But now they're back, but they run a few races a year. He had Crown Royal, but that was at a time when they had hard liquor sponsors. Then all of a sudden, all the hard liquor sponsors went out of business. I wrote a, I wrote a story about that. Right? I wrote an article or wrote a, wrote a whatever essay about that in school and in, in college when I was talking about how hard liquor coming into NASCAR was a big deal because that was like it was like something that was big because it was not it was not beer but right. um, I mean the, the the reality is the days they've the sanctioning body and whatever these owners are asking for 
the days of one sponsor because of the cost of having to do business or whatever it is, is gone. He, they're virtually, I mean, literally it's, even Kyle Bush has two sponsors. It's basically M&M Mars Corporation for a majority of the season. But for six races, it's that ridiculous, horrendous zebra interstate batteries car. <laughs> so he has two sponsors. You know, even Kyle Bush, the God's great gift to NASCAR, as, as Daryl Waltrip would want you to believe. You know, even he has two sponsors. The Joey Logano, it's literally Joey Logano and Jimmy Johnson right now that, or no, not even Joey Logano. Joey Logano has, has goes and shares Auto Trader and AutoZone. Yeah, now he does. But for the majority, yeah. it is Shell Pennzoil. And for the majority, uh, you know, you look at another sponsor, FedEx. I mean, I think Hamill might have one or two races there where FedEx doesn't sponsor the 11 car. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it might be sports clips, but that's only like maybe one or two or three. But but for the most part, you're right. Uh, is it possible, Spencer, that maybe we look at this schedule and talk about trimming it down a little bit? Is 36 races too much? You know, there is such a thing as too many races, and, and maybe 36 is just too many. Um, where, you know, if we chopped it down to 30 races and had our regular season at 20 races – First of all, each race would uh, have hold that much more of an importance to the schedule because there's not as many of them, and I think it would sort of help the sponsorship picture a little bit because you don't have to spon- have to find funding for as many races. Do you think there's too many races on a schedule? Yeah. Well, that's a good point. You know, like you said, just say there was 20 schedules. A team a sponsor could afford to sponsor more races. But they're not going to sit here and sponsor 36 races. That is a ton of money, especially if you're with a big team. So if you cut it down to maybe 20 races, they might say, okay, we'll sponsor half the schedule. There, 10 races are done. You have a sponsorship. Now you just have to find a sponsorship for 10 more. 36, we're like, that's a lot. And it's so hard to find a sponsor that wants to commit for a full schedule because the price is so high. And that leads to because the sport – to run this team, to run a team is outrageous. So they have to charge these sponsors so much money, you know, to get to the racetrack so they can afford it. If without sponsors, we wouldn't, the sport wouldn't be here. So I think if they did maybe knock it down to maybe 25 or whatever, absolutely would help because the sponsorship, you know, they would do more of the schedule and it would take less sponsorship to complete a full schedule. So yeah, I think it would help uh, a lot. That's, there would be no negative to it. It would possibly help 100%. How about you, Philip? What are your thoughts on, on adding, uh, trimming down some races here on a 36 race schedule? I mean, 36 is a lot, you know, and when we talked about that sport back in the day, like you said, in nineties and two thousands, you know, 36 just came around in 2001. We, we started around 36 races and we haven't shied away from that. You know, we haven't added to that either, but 36 is a lot of weekends, you know, and, um, and there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, come on, you know, you love racing, you love it for sure. But there's some races in the middle of the year where I kind of look at it and go, who cares? Because points-wise, yeah. it doesn't really matter. I always felt like maybe we could do 30 in the Cup Series, 25 in Xfinity, and 20 in Trucks, and I felt like that's a pretty good number. Do you think there is too many races on this Cup Series schedule, and how do you think that would affect the business side of this? Yeah, I mean, cutting down to where – 
I mean, in in the heyday when the sport was growing, it was in the high 20s, the amount of races they had. By the time they got to pre-Fox ruining everything, it was, I think, 33. So the reality is it was somewhere around 28 to 33. So 30, I think, is that magic number. I think you go and cut six races off this deal, the amount of cost for the teams, the amount of the wear and tear on the people. Hell, heck with all this other stuff. The people. You know, you might be able to get more people to show up and work if it was only a 30-race schedule. There, the, the reality is, in terms of motorsports overall, the only schedule that competes in terms of the amount of races, sort of, in the, the mount, is F1, and they have 21. But then they have, like, a 1,000 people or hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, working on two cars. And there's major factory efforts. Cutting races down would be great. Trucks in their heyday had 25. The first year, they were 20. If they right. cut back down to 20, I think it would be great. The Bush Series was in the low to mid to high 20s. Cutting, I mean, obviously, they insist on it being there as the, as the thing, as the Saturday event or the Friday event to complement Cup. So you cut down six races there, that goes down to 27 at least, and then maybe you start moving some things around. Maybe instead of it being 27, it might be 25. All of a sudden, there might be some identity that comes back to those series. It might be more cost-effective. I mean, for the trucks, the logistics of it, they've tried to mess around with it because they had such bad schedule. Whoever the idiot was in Daytona that made the schedule for years probably doesn't work there anymore. That's why they've messed around with it. They, you need it, it, it's they, it's supply and demand. It's been taught. It's taught in school. It's it's simple. When you have when there's less product there, there's more likelihood that you're going to go and view yeah. that product. When you have so much oversaturation of a product and it's not good, what is it to me to go and want to watch it? Like the point is I I invested, I'm going to go this weekend because it's rich and whatever. I'll see, we'll see how it goes. But to me, we've had conversations offline, you know, talking about it. And to me, I can go on a Saturday and I can get my fill. I can go and see practice. I can go and get a race. I can go and possibly get two races you know, a couple practices, maybe a qualifying. I could get my whole fill in one day with like 10,000, 15,000 people at most, more than likely not have to battle a whole heck of a lot of traffic, get back home, relax on a Sunday, and in the end, I get my fill. There's people right. I want to go on Sunday, and that's perfectly fine. But yeah. if there was only one race there, I was like, oh, man, I really need to make that race. There's something to that. There's more investment in that. Well, think about it this way, And that way would too. probably help. Yeah. The, the number one sport in this country by far is the National Football League. They have 16 weeks, and a lot of pushback of why they don't want 18 games. It, well, they have 17 weeks, but 16 games. Um, they don't want 18 games because people say, well, you know, then the games aren't going to mean as much. And that's the truth. You know, when you look at baseball, one loss in baseball on a 162-game schedule, you're like, well, not gonna, it really doesn't mean anything, you know. But yeah. – 
football, one or two losses can be the difference between 10 and 6 and 8 and 8. And that's a big difference. Yeah. It can be, mean winning a division or missing the playoffs. So, um, fired. It, it's, it, when you have less of something, it certainly makes it more important. And that's where I look at the races where I go, hmm, very important. Here's another aspect about it. And Spencer, I want to get your take on this because I know there's a lot of shorter tracks, a lot of local tracks in your area. Um, not so much in my area, and I'm not sure about Phillips area, but I know there's there's a few in Spencer's area. How about, you know, when you got cup drivers who, let's say we have 30, 30, uh, 30 races a year, and now there's six extra weekends throughout the year where, you know, Clint Boyer can go run a local short track at in Kansas, wherever he wants to go. You know, uh, maybe Kyle Larson goes and says, I want to run dirt track racing, gets the, the sport more exposure, gets these guys more exposure to fans who, don't necessarily watch NASCAR and watch dirt racing or, or go to their local short tracks in New Smyrna by you, Spencer, uh, and say, hey, you know what? It's cool. I got to see, you know, um, Michael McDowell come down, hypothetically. Michael McDowell come down, and yeah, he's not a very big name, but cool. He came down to New Smyrna. He did well. He was a nice guy, signed autographs. It, it sort of puts the sport on a bigger, you know, it, it expands him out a little bit that these guys can do that because they don't have to go to the racetrack every week. Um, do you think that has anything to do with it? As well as, you know, when I look at cutting the schedule back, um, do you think that, that would help as well? I mean, yeah, like you said, um, it would give more exposure for sure for the sport. Um, like you just say, like you said, Kyle Larson comes down to, you know, Volusia Speedway and runs an outlaw race or a sprint car race or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you go, man, I saw him, NASCAR driver, big NASCAR. You're giving NASCAR you know, publicity, you're given the name NASCAR is out. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I think it would benefit, you know, like you said, these guys have weeks off and they get to go, uh, back to the roots and, uh, race some and sling some dirt around. And, you know, that's what these guys love. And, um, you know, back when Kyle Larson was getting some credit, uh, criticized, uh, for he only cares about dirt racing and not NASCAR. This, these guys live for that. You know, that's what got them here. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, it, I think, yeah, for sure. I, uh, would say it would be good for them to do that. Uh, like you said, give NASCAR some, uh, things and, you know, dirt guys who really don't watch NASCAR, you know, they might really like Kyle Larson and they were like, well, you know, let's go watch him on TV for a sprint car race or, I mean, a NASCAR race. And, uh, let's, you know, shit, he's racing over here at Richmond. We live 30 minutes from the racetrack. Let's go watch him. So, um, yeah, yeah why not? How about you, Philip? I mean, think about it. You know, um, people who – it might even help racing in general. You know, I think a lot of people look at, at racing in general down a little bit because what, for whatever reason, maybe this generation of young young kids or young people don't really care about auto, auto racing as much. I, I tend to disagree with that. I just think we need to sort of give them a little bit more bang for their buck. Um but do you think maybe if, if it would help racing in general, you know, when you look at the shorter tracks, it might help like, Hey, you know what? Uh, we got, for example, for me, you know, we got Kenny Wallace. We used to have Kenny Wallace and, and Carl Edwards and Tony Stewart used to show at the Middletown Orange County Fair Speedway all the time in New York state. And, you know, Hey, we don't really see guys do that. Now we see Frisian do it because Frisian has the opportunity to do it because he only runs 23 races in the truck series. He doesn't have, a dedicated 36 weeks in the cup series where not only is he at the track 36 Sundays, he's at the track 36 Saturdays. He's at the track 36 Fridays. And, and for, I know now, you know, we don't 
there's a few events where we don't have uh, Friday events, but that's 36 days, really three days a, a week where they're on a cup track. And then they have sponsorship obligations on top of that. They have, you know, maybe a pitch in a race flying here to, to pitch a race in Phoenix. There's a lot going on for these cup guys. And do you think maybe a, a condensed schedule, a little bit of a condensed schedule um, would sort of help, you know, bring these guys into markets that we haven't seen in a while? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I was able to see Smoke run at New Egypt in a 410 sprinter, and that was back in 13 before he got – that was his leg in, before his leg injury, and he was struggling that year, and he ran really well that night. He beat his two teammates, who might be two of the greatest 410 sprint car drivers ever lived, and Steve Kinzer and, and Donnie Schatz. But the reality is, I got to see Tony Stewart run something different, and I got to feel really good about what he was doing. I got to go to PA, out to Eastern PA. I forget which track it was. My buddy's a Kyle Larson fan. I've been, I've always been a respected, and I was fan on and off. Like he's a diehard Kyle Larson fan, and he got to watch Kyle Larson go and win a 410 sprint car race and beat. And he was on a heater at that point a couple of years ago winning races. It was a Pennsylvania speed week or something. And Kyle Larson won. And and to me, there's something good. There's something really good about being able to see your favorite driver in a different element. Maybe it's something that fits them better for Kyle Larson. I think it probably does fit him better. In Tony Stewart's case, he enjoys this, what he's doing right now way more than he ever enjoyed running a, a cup car. The point is, I think, giving the fans the opportunity to have that connection or possibly be able to have the opportunity to go and meet their driver locally at their local dirt track or local, you know, short track, paved track would be unbelievable. And there's a reason why certain drivers are able to continue driving until the end of time. It's because they understand one, they know that they love the sport Two, they understand that they love these other types of racing more than they love what makes them the money to allow them to do it. But three, they also understand the fans are willing to go and see them, and the fans want to see them, which is why Ken Schrader is still one of the greatest people on earth. Right. It's why, for some reason, Kenny Wallace, for as loud and obnoxious and haphazard as he was in a stock car generally after 1994 – still has a following. Uh, you know, like the like Ken Schrader still drives a dirt modified. He'll show up once or twice a year, drive an Arco car, he'll drive a truck at Eldora. But people think about him in the highest regard. Everyone wants to say he won four races in Cup. Okay. And he's won hundreds of races elsewhere. And he runs hundreds of races a year. And people love him. And the point is, if there's one person that I would want to announce a race, that if he doesn't want to, because he makes more money racing a car, go and pay him to be on the announcer. They would have to have the dump button. I'll go and be the guy that'll hit the dump button for Ken Schrader because he's liable to say anything. But I'll go and hit the button, yeah. and that'll be great. That's the whole point. You, you, I would rather have Kenny Schrader. I'd, I'd rather have forty Kenny Schraders than have a bunch of PC, you know, vanilla people that what we're dealing with because of how 
how you know corporate the sport has become, and it would make it would make fans. I mean, the point is they the ship has sailed, and they've done right. a really bad job, and they've screwed a lot of people over. But I the point is because of me being you know an older fan and like yourself, I've gravitated towards who I feel like understands what what fans really want. And so I feel like they understand me as a person, and that's why I can continue to watch, even if I don't like the product. But it would help if you made if you put them out there, you gave them, you put them at the Chili Bowl, you put them at this place, that place. It would make the sport better. Will they do that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't trust it. But you know, I, yeah, it, it would be very interesting. And again, you know, there's a lot to this about cutting races. You know, you got a lot of racetracks, got a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of um, stock prices that affect this, and that's a huge factor in this. Um, a lot of everything, you know. So um, I doubt we cut races. I, I, you know, it's funny because as much as people talk about going to short tracks, they don't talk about cutting the schedule. And I think a lot of people would, when you bring up cutting the schedule, you know, Spencer talked about it, you talked about it, Philip, how cutting the schedule would be, cutting the amount of races we run would be great, but I think everybody kind of looks at it and goes, well, that means our paychecks are going to get a little bit lower. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you have to make a little bit less money to significantly help the sport, I think that's a good thing, you know? So um, again, and, and that's another discussion for another day. I just feel like, you know, in a lot over, over the last 10 or 15 years, we've gotten to a point where everybody's gotten a little bit more selfish uh, than what they were, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years ago where, we looked out for the best interest of the sport. Now everybody sort of looks out for themselves. Well, I can't do that because radio, you know, I can't do that because the owners, well, I can't do that because TV. Well, I can't do that because the drive. What about the fans? What about looking out for them? So what about looking out for the best interest of the sport? So um, I think that there's a lot we could discuss about this topic, but I, I think we got to do some good stuff today about the schedule and about a lot of different topics. Well, I want to thank Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan for another great show tonight. If you like what you heard, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and we'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Uh, Good night, everybody.